Restaurant Unstoppable episode. 154. Say it. 154. 154. 154. Are you ready for it? It factors. Success stories. Failures. And bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Lenny Russo. Chef, are you feeling unstoppable today? Well, you know, I'm, I'm usually feeling unstoppable, although <laughs> I do occasionally get stopped. <laughs> oh, we can't be perfect every day. So, uh, right. <laughs> all right, let me just give the folks at home a quick introduction and then we'll dive into it. Uh, Chef Russo has over 38 years of experience in the food and beverage industry and has held numerous titles, including executive chef, general manager, food and beverage director, consultant, and corporate chef. He's been featured in Gourmet, uh, Food and Wine, Bon Appetit, New York Times, Chicago Tribune, Los Angeles Times, USA Today, just to name a few, and he's won several best awards, which we don't have the time to dive into because it would take forever to name them all, but uh, there's a lot, and uh, he's also been a semifinalist for James Beard's sh- uh, Best Chef Midwest for the past seven years. And so that would be, uh, that would be. I'm sorry to interrupt, that would be a finalist for the, uh, well, I, I've been a... Yeah, I've been a semi-finalist, uh, well, I don't know, I think I was, seven yeah. or eight times. Oh, were you getting to the finalist part? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, semi- semi-finalist for the past seven, in five of those seven, you were a finalist, correct? Oh, that, yeah, that is, that is correct. I'm, yeah. I'm actually confused because it's been, it's been so many, <laughs> so many times. I don't blame I can't, you, man. <laughs> I can't remember, although one of these days, um, hopefully my peers will get around to bestowing that honor upon me, so. <laughs> awesome, man. Uh, today, he serves as executive chef uh, for Heartland Restaurant. And wine bar in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, this is just a huge aerial view. Uh, there's so much that you do, and there's, I'm sure some of it will come out during the interview, but I just wanted to give the, the folks at home who haven't heard of you the big picture of who you are and what you're all about. So, why don't we get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling, Chef, with a success quote or mantra that you kind of live by or you want to share with us today? Well, yeah, I think, you know, uh, we were talking earlier, I, I get quoted often as, uh, as saying that. Um, uh, you know, those of us who are in this industry, you know, you know, whether you be a chef or a farmer or you own a market or, or, or somehow uh, involved in, in feeding people, you know, we relate to people on the most fundamental level that is, and that's that we give them sustenance. And, and, and along with that comes this responsibility. And if you can't take that responsibility seriously, you really need to go do something else because this profession requires a great deal of commitment, determination, and hard work in order to be successful. Now, when you say sustenance, do you mean just physical sustenance or emotional sustenance as well? Well, you know, it's all of that. Uh, you know, we're, we're fortunate to, to be able to uh, experience um, times with people that, that are, are a lot of times celebratory, you know, birth of a child, a wedding, um, graduation, um, an anniversary of some sort, maybe a job promotion, and then also at times when, when things are sad, maybe it's you know, maybe it's um, 
uh, a memoriam uh, for someone, uh, you know, the passing of a, of a friend or or, or um, a family member, and and so, uh, you know, there there are times when we provide uh, when we provide a lot of emotional uh, comfort uh, through the food that we serve and through the hospitality that we give, and so. Uh, so it's all of that. It's, mm. it's not just the food, but it's also you know whatever you're, um, whatever you're contributing in terms of the emotional satisfaction that goes along with that. Yeah, and I love the emphasis, Chef, that you put on the whole commitment side of it too. At the end there of your mantra that you're sharing with us, I don't think people realize when they get into this industry how much commitment's involved. Well, you know, I think for some people that's probably true and for others maybe not so much you know i i um i worked my way through college by working as a chef and i worked full-time um and went to school full-time and and that took a great deal of hard work and commitment on my part um uh, to to follow through on that and to, mm. to stay uh you know to stay with my eye on uh, on what my goals were but um, but I think that uh, uh, you know there there is there has in recent years maybe been this sort of influx with with the um, you know with the whole celebrity chef thing uh, and with um, with this proliferation of cooking schools, um, both of which are, are great. Um, but but I think what we've seen is maybe um, some people get their heads turned around and they think, well, you know, I'll go to school for a year, year and a half, and when I come out. I'll be a celebrity or I'll take an executive chef position for $150,000 a year. It's that easy, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it's, you know, it's just, it's just not like that. So, um, so I think that maybe, you know, maybe some people haven't really been fully, uh, you know, um, maybe integrated into, uh, into the type of commitment that, that it's going to take to actually be successful and to, uh, to get to those. Mm. And, so. Mm-hmm. so let me ask you, Chef. I mean, you didn't get like when you were going through school. You, you majored in, I think it was philosophy and psychology. I remember reading. Right. Um, yeah, so, at what point did you know that this career was going to be your, you know, or this, you know, the food industry was going to be your career? Like, when did you make the pivot? When did you make the commitment? Well, yeah, that's a, that's such a great question. Um, you know, I, I I always had a passion for food. Uh, you know, going back to when I was a kid, I grew up in an Italian immigrant family, so I kind of grew up in the kitchen. And, and you know, I was cooking dinner for the whole family by the time I was ten, and I was always really passionate about about great food. Um, and but as I was going through college, and I you know, and I, I was studying philosophy and literature, and and then eventually clinical psychology. Um, I, I had I had a mean the, the cooking for me was a means to an end and it was I was getting paid for one education which was which was working as a chef while I was paying for another education which was which was the academic side of things and and so um, I never I always thought that I would you know continue to cook and I did um, but I I never really viewed it as a as a full time profession. Um, and and more so as a vocation and and i think that that some of that might have had to do with with the times um you know we're we're talking the 1970s and this is before you know our profession was held in the esteem that mm-hmm. it held today um and i and and i guess uh when it happened for me i was working uh in a child uh or an adolescent psychiatric facility um and um and had been juggling two careers for about ten years at that point, cooking and 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 working with children. Mm-hmm. And um, and at one point, I just 
woke up one day and I just said, I'm happier in the kitchen. Mm. I mean, can you think and, of that moment? Can you, can you like, Oh yeah, no, I remember day? it because I got on the horn. I, well, I resigned my position at the hospital and I got on the horn, called my parents and I, I, my mother was on the other end and I, I said, yeah, I, I, I resigned my position at the hospital. And she said, uh, why? And I said, well, um, I'm, I'm going to be a chef full time. And she said, that's not a real job. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in her most supportive fashion. Uh, and so I, um, uh, I said, well, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is, this, I know this is what's going to make me happy. And so, and I'm not happy now. And mm. so, uh, so this is, this is it. So, how so, how liberating was that though to get that? I feel like that must have been like such a release, such a weight off the shoulders, was it? Well, yeah, I mean, and and you know, when and of course now I'm late. I'm late to the game. It was two things really. There was relief in finally saying this is what I'm going to do. I mean, I've been kind of bouncing back and forth these two careers, but now I'm really going to focus on this one and I'm going to you know give it my all. Um, so there was you know there was that relief, but at the same time there was this enormous pressure because I'm, now I'm late to the game. You know, now I've, I haven't, you know, whereas I, I did start working in, in restaurants, you know, uh, in 1977, uh, and then at this point it was probably, um, you know, early 80s, maybe getting closer to the mid-80s. Um, you know, for some people, they'd, they'd already been, you know, my age, for 10 years, they'd been focused really intently on, on being a chef, and now I have... I had some ground to make up. Mm. So the, you know, so the first thing I did was I, I was living in Gainesville, Florida at the time. And, and I, um, I drove out to St. Augustine to take a, a job, um, with the guy named Paul Palermo. Uh, his father had this sort of Italian American seafood place called Palermo's Fisherman. And then attached to that was Paul's place called, um, called La Griade, which was this Nouvelle French restaurant. And, and um, I wanted to work with him, but in order to work with him one night a week, I had to work um, for his father for six. <laughs> so, so I, you know, so I would I would spend that time uh, working, you know, like crazy hours, um, high volume. I remember it was a twenty-two burner saute station. Oh wow! And um, and I would work that, and and then. Um, you know, for and it was like two hundred thirty bucks a week. I think I was making, and then and then I would I would go over and and work with Paul for free. You know, just you know because I needed to refine my method and mm-hmm. technique. I explained that to my mother what I was going to do, which further distressed her. And, <laughs> and I said, "Well, look, this guy just helped Wolfgang Puck open Spago in L.A., and he's bringing back this stuff." And she said, "Who?" And I said, "Wolfgang Puck. You don't know him. He's Austrian." You've never heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> so, Man. so you well, know, this was a, this was a long time ago. Whatever you did paid off, Chef. I mean, y- your track record shows that. And this interview is more about the person and what it is about you that made you as successful as, as you are today. And I'm sure we'll dive into some of the stories uh, that you know that came up along the way. But I've got to ask, uh, what are your it factors if you could narrow it down to like two or three habits that you have what would they be that you know contribute to your success or maybe it's a characteristic well you know you know i i grew up in a working class family you know we were poor um you know i, I was i was born into the italian ghetto in hoboken new jersey and and um 
and so we never had a lot of money, uh, and it was always about working hard. And so, you know, so so having that whole idea of you know hard work and keeping your nose to the grindstone thing that was instilled in me in a very at a very early age, and so so that was you know that's been a major a major component of of any success that I've had is just the willingness. Uh, to work really, really hard for what it is that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I, I had to work my way through college, and that's how I ended up becoming a chef. Mm. So, uh, and then, of course, um, um, I think that that it's important to be really honest uh, in what it is that you do. Um, you know, honest in your relationships with people, honest in, in the way in your business relationships, um, and then and then just being honest with yourself uh that's that's really important and i and i think the third thing um you know would be to um to uh you know treat treat those around you with the same level of respect that you wish for them to treat you and and um and that goes a very very long way toward um toward team building and and in that respect um you know, was one of those things I had to learn uh, early on, coming up through the ranks when the chefs were, you know, mostly French and Italian, and they weren't really very pleasant at all. It was pretty <laughs> brutal. Mm-hmm. If you role model that style of of management, um, I found it to be unproductive and actually um, counterproductive. You know, you can. There's a lot of ways to lead, and you can either lead by example. And and you can lead um, uh, through um, through gaining people's respect. Nobody's going to allow you to to. You can't force anybody to follow you. They have to allow you to lead them. And and so um, so I think that you know leading by intimidation does not does not produce that. No way. Alt. Absolutely, I agree with you. I love how you also mentioned. I mean, just to recap, you said uh, your your work ethic, your honesty with people, with business, uh, and with yourself, which I thought was really cool. I think one of the reasons why I mean I pivoted this podcast to focus so much on the person um, mm-hmm. and who they are, not necessarily what they've done, is because what I've learned is that you need to learn how to lead yourself before you can lead others. And I'm hearing that from you just with the, you know, the things that are coming out of your mouth. What do you have to say about that? And why is it so important to have that honesty with yourself? Well, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's certain things. Look, I, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, I, I tell people this a lot and they, they sometimes scratch their heads when they look at me, but I tell people that I am not, I don't really excel at any one thing. Mm. I'm above average in a lot of stuff. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm strictly an above average individual. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there are some people, they have an aptitude for something, and it's like off the charts. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that, that's not me. Uh, and I know that. And so, and so, you know, being honest with myself, I have to be able to admit what my limitations are. And once I'm able to do that, I'm able to go to other people, you know, on my team or, or that, you know, that, that come into my life and say, you know, you know, here's an area where um, you can help me be better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then surround myself with those people. And, um, and then together, you know, we can be successful. So, 
Um, so I think, you know, just being honest with what your limitations are in that regard. And the other thing, too, is, you know, this, this, this industry will eat you alive. I mean, you know, it, the hours are long. The, the work is hard. It can be both, you know, physically and emotionally draining at times. And, and I think, you know, understanding what your limits are there, you know, how far can I push myself before I stop being productive and being a positive influence mm. on, on things here. And that's important to recognize when you need to pull back. Um, I, I often teach new managers, um, I go, look, it's, it's sometimes more important to learn how to say no than it is to say yes. Mm-hmm. And it's tough for people in this industry because we are natural born people pleasers. That's why we, some of us are so successful in the first place because we want to say yes all the time. So I totally hear that frustration. Mm-hmm. And I love how you're talking about just being honest with your limitations and surrounding yourself with people that are better than you are at certain things. And I, that's one of the most common things I've noticed with super successful people in this industry is they aren't trying to be a, a know-it-all. They don't claim to have all the answers, but they're just so, um, they're this draw so much greatness to them because of how good they are and how willing they are to put people in front of them or ahead of them who are better at certain things. And I'm hearing that with you. Um, but can you take one of these it factors, chef, whether it's your, your work ethic or your honesty or your, uh, abilities to treat respect with, you know, to others, mm-hmm. bring us to a story where one of these it factors is just really shown through. I want to feel like I'm standing there with you when you tell this story. You know, I, I guess this is a story that probably repeats itself on, on a regular basis, and that's, you know, we have a certain culture here which is really, um, it's really liberating for the people who work here. And that's that um, the way that this is structured, you know, we change the menu here every day, and this has to do with my limitations. Um, and so in order to be able to change the menu every day based on what farmers are bringing us, we have to have a collaborative effort in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, what, what, that really, what that really requires from me is my ability to let go of some control. Mm. You know, I, I have to be able to sit at the table with my team and allow them to contribute in a significant way to creation of the menu just to get the menu done. But in a bigger, in a bigger way, we have to do that um, so that the individuals who are sitting at the table can find their own voices as chefs. And they're not coming in and doing everything that the chef's, chef tells them by rote every single day. Mm-hmm. Now, they have to remain within the style of my cuisine, and they have to remain within the box and the palette that I give them to work with. Mm-hmm. They have to be able to express themselves in as many ways as they can culinarily in order to grow as chefs. And so, you know, most recently we had a, a new member of the team, and he was just not comfortable mm-hmm. in that environment. And I just, you know, I I said to him, you know, you have to understand that, you know, your presence here at this table is because we have confidence in your ability to be able to contribute. And so you need to be able to, like, you know, push yourself and contribute to this team. And you have to be able to do that in order to find your own voice as culinarian. Mm. And and if you're ever going to be able to, you know, be successful in this in your career, if you're ever going to be able to grow and be more than just the guy who stands on the line and, you know, takes orders from the expediter, you you better be able to like work in this environment. Mm. And so, 
And so sure enough, you know, he was able to step up once once he realized what the challenge was and, and why it was a significant one for him. And, yeah. And, uh, we do that every day. And I love how you spelled it out for him, like the why. So many times we get angry or irritated with people when they're not delivering to the level we expect them to, but we never really care to go that extra mile to show them the reason why we need them to do this. You really explained it. I think that might have, I'm sure that helped. Yeah, well, you know, and, and he was tough not to crack, believe me. You know, every mm. so often you get somebody with not a whole lot of self-confidence. Yeah. And I'm usually looking for people who are hard chargers who have that self-confidence, and I almost always hire people who are overqualified. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you know, in his particular case, he was a little underqualified for what I was asking him to do, and, and he, had, he had a pretty good amount of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for him, it was more... Um, there was maybe there were maybe things in his personal life that had him doubting what 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 kind of value he brought, and so I had to get him to separate the two, and and I had to get him to uh, to put it out there, and then of course you know he requires my mentorship and being able to to do it. You know, mm-hmm. here's the dish, this is what I'm I'm thinking of doing, and then I help him tweak it and formulate it and and figure out a better way to do it, and then um, you know guide him guide him along the way until he's more comfortable. Awesome. I love it. Now, that was a great example of, you know, giving us a story of where these it factors really shown through. I would love for you to do the same thing, Chef, but now tell us about a time where you just failed hard and just fell big time on your butt. Tell us how you got back up from that failure and what you learned from the failure. Well, you know, I guess the the failure that I had that really probably stuck with me the most and maybe was the most transformative, and believe me, I've had more than one failure, um, uh, was my first executive chef position in Minnesota. It was, um, it was in Bloomington, and, and I was asked, I would, I'd only been living in Minnesota for about a year and a half, and I was, I was asked to take an executive chef position at a restaurant what's called the Bloomington Strip, which which um this would have been around nineteen eighty five, eighty six, something like that. And and so um uh it was a restaurant that was like trapped in a time warp, like a supper club time warp. Mm-hmm. And and I had to transform that restaurant and and bring it uh, to something more current and, and of course to pull together a, a team of people who would be willing to to put that kind of commitment in. And so I was new to Minnesota. I was, I was relatively new to that role. I mean, I had led kitchen teams before, but nothing on this scale. I used what I had learned from the people who had mentored me, which were the, you know, old school chefs um, who were pretty brutal. I mean, look, these guys were like, You'd be in the cooler, and if you were going too slow, they'd come in and kick you in the ass. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean literally, they would kick you. You know, you're down <laughs> on the floor, like holding up the leaks, saying, "I've got them right here, chef. I'll be right out." You know, and so, <laughs> so, um, you know, my my way of, uh, of of whipping that place into shape was just brutal. I mean, I was I was uncompromising. I was unforgiving. I was unrelenting. I was um, I was I was on people. There was very little positive reinforcement. I was a control freak. I was working from, you know, very early in the morning until very early the next morning every day. Mm-hmm. And and I turned that place around 
and I, I, I corrected the bottom line and, and I gave them better food. But at the end of the day, I couldn't leave that team. Mm. You know, they hated my guts. And and rightfully so because I was an asshole, mm. and so so um, uh, so I I I um, I had to leave. I you know I, I couldn't I couldn't stay there. I was I was ineffective, mm. and and so um, you know uh, when I did leave, and having been a therapist, it was easy for me to do this. I just I went into therapy to talk to somebody about it so that I could learn like why did I feel compelled. To one, not be able to take any feedback from anybody. Why did I have to be so controlling? Why was I you know, like so unrelenting and and driven um, to the point of um, of driving myself not to success but to 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 you know to unsuccess? And so and so uh, uh, once I was able to understand where that was coming from, I was able to like let go and look back on that and say, there's a better way to lead. You know, there's a better way to there's a better way to have people uh, follow you, and and um, and and intimidating them was definitely not not the way to do it. Um, and particularly here in Minnesota, where people just don't respond to that sort of you know brutality in the workplace, mm-hmm. they just they don't. Um, so you know, back you, east, it was fine, but but you, here now. You said you had to go to somebody to, to talk about this. I mean, what were the reasons? Why you know, why couldn't you uh, – I wrote down your um, your ability to not really relate with others. You were too controlling. You didn't take any advice or disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Like, what were those reasons? I, I was where I was raised. You know, it was, you know, I grew up in a household where that was pretty that – was, that was it. You know, I, I was um, – I was a I was a 4.0 in in school mm-hmm. and and all state athlete and um, and and my IQ test was was really high. I was like 168. Oh wow! And so um, so I had you know I had a parent who um, who looked at all those things and decided that you know um, I was a high achiever mm-hmm. or I had this really like high upside. And that I was going to be driven uh, to realize all of that, um, no matter what. And so it, it was never, it was never enough. Mm-hmm. You know, it was never. I was never good enough, no matter what I did. It was never going to be enough. And so um, I had that ingrained in me to the extent where um, failure was not an option. Mm-hmm. And and um, and so uh, you know, my fear of failure. Um, made it impossible for me to take any sort of feedback because mm-hmm. I didn't want to hear that something wasn't good enough. Um, it, it, it made it impossible for me to relax enough to say, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to work as hard as we can and we're going to do the best job that we can. We're going to be satisfied with our effort. Um, that was not, that was not an option. There was, there was always, you know, there was always more that we could do. There was always, there was always something that we hadn't, that we that wasn't perfect and and that's the thing about our about our profession that makes it hard on us because because the standard for us is perfection mm-hmm. it's a completely unrealistic standard mm. i mean you know you can serve like 3000 meals and and 2999 of them can be just great and that one meal that goes out that's not well that person who paid for that they don't care about the other 2,999 meals nope. that were They care about the one that they got that wasn't up to snuff. And it's going to happen because we're humans and we're going to make mistakes. 
Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, nonetheless, it's still that's still the standard. The standard is still perfection. And so when you're when you're working in in an environment where the standard is perfection and it's unattainable, inevitably there's gonna there's gonna be a letdown. Mm. And so and so for me, I just was not capable of, of being able to, uh, to, to accept the reality uh, and, 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 the, and the limitations that, that, uh, that come with just being a human being. And so, so I had to really, uh, once I was able to understand all that, and it didn't take me any time at all, as a matter of fact, you know, the guy I was talking to, his friend, and he's, you know, he was a professional, but he was like, you know, okay, you've been here four times. I don't understand why you're coming back. You seem to have your head screwed on. Okay. <laughs> so go out there and be successful. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, but once I was able to do that, I was able to let go of a lot of that stress, a lot of that pressure that I put on myself and, um, and allow myself um, uh, that, that sort of um, – respite if if you would and and even to today i find myself slipping back into that every mm-hmm. so often and i have to remind myself that you know we're all we're all just human we all yeah. so if i could summarize chef it sounds like the the biggest failure here even though you're able to turn this restaurant around you were you weren't able to do it with the respect and rapport of the people you're surrounded with and you mm-hmm. can't lead unless you have that respect and rapport and that that's the biggest lesson i'm taking from this story aside from no that's exactly it that's exactly that's exactly right that's uh, that's that's pretty much where it was at i was um the restaurant was fiscally successful mm-hmm. if we have a solid team that was gonna that was gonna you know continue to move forward through the years and was I gonna be able to lead that solid team? No, mm-hmm. that was all done on sheer force of will. Mm-hmm. It was it was not a matter of you know a group of people coming together toward a common goal. That was me forcing myself upon it and 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 making it happen mm-hmm. um, uh, in in a single handed fashion, which is never a good thing. Awesome stuff. Such great advice. And we're running a little behind schedule, but it's fine because you're giving us so much great advice. I just had to let you go on that one, and it's great. But we're going to dive into the second half of this interview, Chef, and you're just going to drop some industry bombs of knowledge on us. It's going to be more of a speed round. Are you ready to blow us away? Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. <laughs> the first question I have for you is what advice do you have on getting that initial capital, that those initial funds to get started? Well, it's a tough one, you know, because I've been really fortunate. I've had, um, I've had, I've had people come to me, and and offer me uh, what I consider to be like twice now the deal of the century, once in the 20th century, once in the 21st. So, um, you know, I think that um, that there's lots of uh, there's lots of options out there for people. I know that a lot of people have been doing some Kickstarter stuff. I've seen it. I've seen it be uh, be successful for some people. But you need to have. You, you know, you need to have a reputation or be able to, to garner that sort of support. Um, there's um, there's some uh, small business association loans out there, and if if you're ma- if you're a member of a minority, um, uh, there's some other there's usually some other stuff out there. I would encourage people to to check out all those avenues, uh, no matter where you know it, it obviously varies from from a region of the country and from municipality to municipality. But but those resources are out there. Um, uh, what I would never do is mortgage my house. <laughs> you know, sorry. sorry, you know, because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, you want to keep your personal finances and your business finances as separate as you possibly can. 
So I would never recommend uh, doing anything that drastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that comes up often with this question is people don't give money to what you're doing. They give money to who you are. So if you can right. focus on just being awesome like you were, like you got all this recognition, like you just were just doing so many great things with your life and just being successful, that the money will come to you. You will attract those opportunities. That's kind well, of that's exactly right, I think. At least that was the case uh, for me, and I've seen it be the case for other chefs as well. Um, one thing that I, I would caution people is is in your enthusiasm and your and your desire to uh, have your own place to you know to to hang your name on the door, so to speak. Um, you know, make sure it's the right deal. Mm-hmm. Don't take the wrong deal because I've seen that happen to a lot of friends of mine, and they've ended up like paying a price for it. Yeah. Um, I was approached many, many times by people because everybody thinks, you know, how great it would be to own a restaurant. I'll yeah. take all my friends here, and it'll be a big party. <laughs> and it's and you know, and sorry, but you know, that's just not the way it works. And the margins are really are really small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to make sure that that whomever you go into business with that person understands the risks understands um the the small return that usually accompanies this sort of business and um and they need to be doing it for the right reason and 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 that uh you have to have that frank conversation with those people Mm, absolutely so the next question i have for you and that was all great advice by the way thank you so much the next question is when you find like how how do you find good people for your restaurant? Like, what questions are you asking? What are you looking for? How do you hire? Well, that's a, that's a really great question too. Um, I don't. I don't. Um, I require. Well, I require a lot of stuff. Well, first of all, let's say it, it's an intern coming out of cooking school. Mm-hmm. That person has to be essentially at the top of his or her class. Like, not necessarily number one, but you know, your GPA better be pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. Two. Um, you better provide me with a resume and some letters of recommendation, and I want three letters of recommendation. And they they can be from former employers or from chefs that are in school or whatever it happens to be. And then I do the interview, and I want to know why the person wants to be a chef. If the first thing that comes out of you know that person's mouth is money and fame, then I'm usually passing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always passing. Um, you know, if if it if the first thing that comes out of that person's mouth is dedication to our profession, then then that's the right person for mm-hmm. me. Um, I don't. A lot of times, I pass on really, really heavily, really, really good resumes. I mean, I've had some resumes where, like, you know, some great jobs working for some great chefs in some great cities, and I've passed because the person didn't really fit our culture here Mm. um and and so you really have i really try and determine who the person is not just what i see on paper it's like yeah you might have some great knowledge and some great experiences but you you're going to come in here and you're going to really not be part of this team because you're too self-absorbed or or you're not you know whatever it happens to be you've got to be particularly in my restaurant you have to be a solid team player Mm -hmm. it can't be uh like if i say hey um uh you know, uh, so and so needs uh, needs needs a day off. Can you uh, can you pick up that shift? And then if the person comes back to me and says, "Well, I'd really like to help you guys out," that's like right there. That's the wrong statement. It's like, no, you're not helping us out. We're all together in mm-hmm. this. 
you know, without being cliched and saying, you know, we're a family, we are. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, you know, you're helping yourself out by, by doing this as well. And yeah. we're all in this together and we're all moving toward a common goal. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people with that kind of mindset and, and, and that level of dedication to our profession, mm-hmm. first and foremost, before I start thinking, oh, gee, how great is your resume and, you know, what's your skill set? Yeah. And I, I think you're setting us up for the, uh, you know, the next question, which is once you find these great people, how do you keep them as a valued team member? And I think that word culture is going to come back here. Yeah, well, you know, most people, like, are long-term with me. I mean, you know, even, you know, even guys who are working in the dish room have worked for me for 13 years. I mean, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, there's, there's a level of comfort, I think, that, um, that the people who work here have. Um, and that, I think, has to do with, uh, with the priorities that, that we essentially have set for ourselves here at the restaurant. And it's, it's endemic in the culture. And you know we have like five priorities, and the first one is is our staff. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're number one. Uh, if they're happy and well taken care of, um, they're going to um, do their best to take care of our second priority, which are our guests. And then um, you know our third priority is is our community. Mm. Um, and then uh, our fourth and 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 also our fourth priority is part of our third priority because because part of our community are also the people who supply us with a lot of the food mm-hmm. here because they're farmers who live right here and so uh and then the last priority is ownership mm. so after everybody's been taken care of um you know we're, we're the last and sometimes you know at the end of the day that's a healthy return and sometimes it's not sometimes we're throwing a little in mm-hmm. so you know so i i think it's important uh to be honest and open with your staff so that they understand that and and so that they also understand that oh gee you know what that he might own the place and he might be the chef but you know he's not he's not lining his pockets at our expense mm. if anything our pockets are getting lined at his expense. <laughs> you know, I, love it. I, I I think that's important. And it sounds like you're taking a line from Danny Meyer's uh, enlightened hospitality philosophy. You know, that's exactly Danny Meyer's mm-hmm. um, five five priorities, mm-hmm. and I those were my five priorities before I read his book. That's awesome. And when I read his book, I was like, "That's exactly <laughs> what we do." So great that, minds so I think th- alike. Yeah. Well, you know, it, I was like, I was like, I, that's that's really strange. But I mean, <laughs> apparently, it works pretty well for Danny, and and uh, I have to say, it's worked well for me, although not quite on the scale of <laughs> Danny Meyer's success. No, it's great, but when it's it's I, one of the things uh, in a book that will back this up is uh, the Go Giver. The more you give, the more you get, and that's really what you're doing with Enlightened Hospitality. You're giving to everyone around you, and when you give and you take care of everyone around you, it just it just comes back full circle every time. Um, well, you know, I, I agree with that a hundred percent, and I think you know, particularly the way this restaurant is structured and what our commitments are. You know, we, you know, we, my wife and I live our lives by a certain set of values, which mm-hmm. we bring into our business, which is kind of unusual. Um, but I mean, you know, and, and that also comes down to our hiring practices as well. We're looking for people 
who are concerned about their community, about the earth, about the environment, about issues of sustainability, mm -hmm. about economic sustainability issues for the people who live in our community and our farmers and who supply us, and all of those things. And, um, and so you have to have a social conscience to work here. And, and that's really evident. We could make a hell of a lot more money if we abandoned our values. Mm. And, and, um, but that's not going to happen. You know, we're going to stick to our values. I mean, you know, I might not be the richest guy, but, you know, <laughs> I, I've, I've got my integrity. <laughs> All those reasons you just listed are the exact reasons why I only interview independently owned restaurants because of well, those core well, values. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, so we got to talk now about resources. We just mentioned a couple sure. of books. But are there any books out there that you've read that have helped you climb this ladder of success that are must-reads for any aspiring restaurant professional that you just have to recommend right now? You know, I I wish I could. I mean, I did read I, re, I did read Danny's book, um, and I, I I think that was um, uh, that and that was given to me as a gift. My cousin mm -hmm. gave it to me, a big admirer of Danny's, and um, and and I found it. I found it to be um, I found it to be reinforcing. Mm. You know, we really reinforced what it was that we were doing, and and I remember one of the things he talked about in there. I think was like a hospitality quotient. You know, there are certain people who are just like born and bred to be hospitable, and mm. you need to be able to like you know identify that in an individual. And it's not something you can teach. You mm -hmm. know, it's some people are good at it and some people aren't. And when I look around on the floor, I can, t I can tell which servers we have who are really great at offering mm -hmm. hospitality and the ones who are not so good at it. Mm -hmm. And it makes a big difference. They're a lot more successful than the ones who aren't. And so, so I think that, you know, that's, that's certainly something. But, um, you know, I read um, uh, a few years back, I read, I read Jacques Papin's, uh, uh, you know, autobiography. And, um, and that, that's really inspiring mm -hmm. uh, to me because, you know, here's a kid coming up, you know, working in his mother and grandmother's kitchens just the way that, you know, that I did, who, um, who, who became a really, really great chef. Um, if I if I would ever even you know get half of be half as successful as he was in our profession, I'll I'll consider that a great gift. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, but I you know I think any of those tomes that that talk more about a chef's journey, and they're not just a, a book chock full of recipes, but more about you know how did how did you get here? Mm -hmm. um, I think those things are really inspiring to me, and I love to read stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. I haven't seen it yet. Um, so 38 years in the industry, Chef, have there been any technologies you've seen uh, come and go? Or in, I mean, what technologies are you seeing now, particularly, that are increasing your productivity, your efficiency, or your profitability, whether it's front of house, back of house? I mean, what, one of the things I want to do with this podcast is help funnel the tools and resources that are out there that can help us be more successful. So what would you recommend? Well, you know, I think that um, you know when I, I mean when I first started in this game, everything was like written on a piece of paper mm -hmm. and like stepped in front of your face. Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of time that it would take to like you know do some of the things that we do now uh, is astronomical. Uh, you know, I mean, so you know, having like you know a, a you know a great point of sale system mm -hmm. and having your computers integrated in your office and having everybody like connected mm -hmm. um, is is really important uh, in sharing information on a, on a on a daily and 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 sometimes like an hourly basis. Mm -hmm. uh, things move really really fast now. Are there and things so, you're using to integrate your computers, like a particular? Well, you know, just platform? you know, I mean, we're you know we're pretty big. I'm I'm I'm, I'm no tech whiz, you know. I 
I'm pretty old school. Um, but, uh, but you know, but 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 uh, you know, we have you know, at our, our original location was 50 seats. I didn't have a point of sale system. Yeah. Everything's been down on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're we're really big, and mm-hmm. so we we have that, and that provides us with a lot of information on a daily basis mm. where I can compare uh, sales trends from the year before mm. where I can pull that stuff up plus you know with all of my um, menus I mean changing them every day and all of the things that we do the various parties that we private parties and private events that we do chefs tables all of that stuff um, you know seasonality here in Minnesota can be a little tricky and just being able to you know look back on an archive uh, and have it at your fingertips like that is 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 great for us mm-hmm. um, what I am seeing now um, is there's a lot more energy efficient um, equipment being produced yeah um, which is huge and, with an industry of such small margins oh it's gigantic for us you know um, and you know LED and compact fluorescent lighting anything that can save you on on your um, on your utility bills, not only is it great for the environment, but mm-hmm. it's great for your bottom line. Mm. So that's that's super important. Um, uh, some uh, these pieces of equipment that can provide more than one function, mm-hmm. you know, like you know, like a combi oven of some sort that you know that can steam, that can bake, can smoke, can can vac, can you know, can do all sorts of things with one piece of equipment. That's huge. Mm. You know, um, not just yeah, on, uh, but space too. Ergonomically, just having. All oh yeah, that that's thing. it. I mean, yeah. it just you know, it, it you know, and 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 if you can cross utilize that equipment, that's great. I mean, look, let's face it. You know, pastry requires dedicated space, dedicated equipment, dedicated personnel, and 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 dedica- dedicated dedicated uh, product. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to get enough money for it. It's mm. like a giveaway, because. Yeah. Because you know it, it it has it has a short shelf life, and you can't charge enough for it. I mean, I can charge twenty bucks for a starter if if you know if I have to, mm-hmm. but I can't charge that for a dessert. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that you know, especially with the like the energy savings things, like the lights, like the LED lights, a lot of these things are more expensive up front. But you have to look at the long term investments in these things. Well, absolutely, and and uh, and that's you know that's what we've been doing here. And so, um, you know, anything that uh, energy is a huge, a huge factor for mm-hmm. us. The other thing that we do is, um, you know, th- there's a lot more resources out there for uh, recycling. Um, uh, your, your, you know, including your organic waste, and and that really cuts down, uh, particularly in a place like Minnesota, mm-hmm. where you're taxed for the amount of trash that you produce. The stuff is like tax-free, so it reduces your cost in terms of in terms of disposing of waste, and it's all it's much more environmentally friendly. We produce hardly any waste here. Wow. I mean, we're almost you know, I would say like you know 98% of the stuff that that uh, that we're using here is is being recycled in one way, shape, or form, and mm-hmm. so um, so that's huge. That's that's a big that's a big piece for us. And uh, cuts down on a lot of a lot of costs. Awesome, Chef. If you could go back in time to a younger version of yourself, maybe when you made that phone call to your mom and said, "Hey, mom, I'm focusing on the restaurant industry," what would that one piece of advice be that you give to yourself if you could go back in time? Well, I think you know, I think you you know, you need to believe in yourself and 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 um, and stay committed to that goal. It's easy in this uh, rest in in this industry to be discouraged. Um, you know, when you um, when you put when you put yourself out there on a daily basis, um, 
you know, you get a lot of shots. Look, here's the thing, particularly if you're the chef in a restaurant, you know, you go out to a table and, and talk to a guest and the guest mm-hmm. will you know, say, yeah, you know, how was that, you know, how was that meal that you just had? How was that dish? Well, you know, uh, you know, instead of cinnamon, I think I would use nutmeg in that. <laughs> And it's like, you know, you got to be able to take that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no one would walk into his doctor's office and sit down and say, you know, instead of this prescription, I think you should prescribe this to me. You know, unless that person has some kind of medical knowledge. But I can't, when it comes to food, everybody has an opinion and yeah. everybody's going to tell you how to do it. And so, you know, you have to kind of say to yourself, great, I'm glad that you like the nutmeg and not the cinnamon, so when you make that at home, why don't you use nutmeg and <laughs> yeah. keep using cinnamon? <laughs> you know? well, how do you answer those questions, though? Because I can totally relate. I'm the, serving as a maitre d' right now at the restaurant I work at, and part of my job is to walk around and touch tables and to sure. check on people, and I do hear things like that. Like, I know the dish is amazing. I tried it before we started serving mm-hmm. it earlier that day. How do you answer, like, how do you, what do you come back with when people say things like that? I um, I usually try and be as polite as I possibly can be, and mm. I'll usually say, "Well, that's you know that's interesting. Thanks for your thanks for your feedback." Mm-hmm. Um, if the person starts getting too pushy, then I'll usually um, say something that um, is is somewhat sarcastic, where <laughs> <laughs> where the message is coming across of you know um, you, you know I, I thanks a lot. Um, I, I appreciate it, but you know, at the end of the day, um, this is my food, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna cook it my way, and, <laughs> and I hope that you enjoy it. And that's, you see, and that's the thing, you know. Look, you know, for cooks, and, and maybe this is maybe the most important thing is cook for yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, really cook something that you would really love to eat, mm-hmm. and then hope that people respond to that, because yeah. because people are gonna be able to tell if you're forcing it if you're you know if you're putting yourself in a situation where you're trying to replicate somebody else's food and and there's just no heart there's no soul there's just no emotion behind that kind of cooking Mm -hmm. and and so you know cook from the heart do something that um you know that really means something to you and um and i think i think people will respond to it yeah, and he's probably not the best person to be quoting right now, but Bill Cosby said, you know, I don't know the secret to success, but I know the secret to failure is trying to please everyone. You're not going to make everyone happy. but those Right, I don't know. Are, that's yeah. probably, a para- that's par- <laughs> probably paraphrasing Abraham Lincoln, of course. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, um, <laughs> but, yeah, we're not going to please all the people yeah. all the time, and that's, that's, and, and, and that goes back to that. Our standard is perfection, mm-hmm. and, and, it's, and it's perfection within an industry that is completely subjective in terms mm-hmm. of people's taste. You know, I don't like cilantro. Oh, yeah? Well, this other guy likes cilantro just fine, and mm. that dish needs cilantro. Don't order that dish. I'll <laughs> <laughs> get something else. <laughs> all right, Jeff, those are all the questions I have for you. If there was one question I could have asked you that you believe would have added more value to this interview, what would it have been? Well, you know, you were pretty thorough. Um, I guess, I guess the only, I guess the only question that you didn't ask is, how much longer do you think you can do this before you drop dead? <laughs> <laughs> how much longer, Chef? How much, how much you got in you? 
Well, you know, I, I got off to such a late start. I feel like I got to keep going until, like, <laughs> you know, until the body gives out. And um, so I think I'm going to be in the game for a while longer. And, you know, maybe not, um, you know, maybe not as the owner of a restaurant, um, you know, particularly of this caliber, uh, you know, in later years, maybe I'll be, um, I'll be doing more mentoring and more, mm. uh, more advising people, which, which I've been doing a, a fair amount of the, in these last few years. Um, but, uh, but I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be involved, and, uh, and, and it's always exciting to see something new. Just got back from Italy, you know, I was cooking uh in milan uh, as part of the world expo mm-hmm. uh, representing uh, minnesota uh and, and the united states at the at the world's fair and um and i had an opportunity to eat some great food throughout uh, uh lombardi veneto and the alto adige and and see and meet some great chefs and uh, came back really excited and thrilled and, and revitalized. So, um, so you know, it's I'm not done yet. I'm yeah. still going at it. <laughs> well, I can definitely see you becoming a great mentor because you were an absolutely awesome mentor today for all of us listening and learning from you. Um, we're going to wrap it up now, Chef, and we're going to do that by having you call somebody out. Who's one independently owned restaurant professional you admire and you think would just make a great guest mentor on the show like you have today? Well, I'd have to say Jose Andres. You know, he he's uh, you know he's he's just such a great guy. I, I've I've been able to spend some time with him recently in Washington. We're on the American Chef Corps together uh, as part of the U.S. State Department's um, culinary diplomacy mission, and um, and he's he's not only like really successful with multiple locations and great teams of people, and he's always trying something new, but he's also incredibly generous. Um, in in everything that he does, and um, and and just hysterically funny. <laughs> so well, um, I, I would I would recommend he he would be he would be a great guest for you. Awesome. Well, thank you for setting the bar high. If I can get through to him, you better believe I will have him on the show. Look out, Jose! I'm coming after you. And yeah, uh, <laughs> he's coming to town soon. I'm going to do a little deal with him, so oh, right. uh, I'll mention it. Oh, great! <laughs> thank you. Uh, so, how can the folks at home, uh, you know? become a part of your team like let's let's leave some contact information uh if you've inspired some folks if they're out in the midwest and they want to come work for a great mentor like you how can we connect well um and they don't have, just have to be from the midwest i get stuff from all over the country and sometimes from across the ocean so um uh just heartlandrestaurant.com which is our our website go there and hit contact us and um you know, it's possible to uh, to attach a resume and a cover letter if uh, if that uh, seems appropriate, um, by all means. Um, but just reaching out in that way, letting me know that uh, that they're interested in in joining the team or coming in to do a stage, um, be really happy to have them here. So uh, so yeah, by all means, please do. Absolutely. I'll have those links in the show notes. Just go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Lenny Russo. You will find a summary of everything we talked about today, a link to the books that were discussed, and uh, links to connect uh, with that information you just left us. Chef, you've been incredible. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your advice and stories with us. Uh, We are all just a little bit more unstoppable now because of it. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Eric. I appreciate you having me on. My pleasure. Cheers. All right, back right back at you. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much for listening today. Uh, you can find everything we discussed, like I mentioned, at restaurantunstoppable.com slash Lenny Russo uh, for links and a summary of the topics discussed. Uh, don't forget to check out Restaurant Unstoppable slash books and slash tools for a complete list of all the books and services that have been mentioned from our past guest mentors. And if you have any suggestions, any people that you think would make great guests on the show, shoot me a message, Eric at Restaurant Unstoppable. I'll do everything humanly possible to connect with those folks you recommend. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. Thank you so much. Until next time, peace out.